Hello, I'm Kate Freeman, and this is The Daily Dollop. On this episode of The Daily Dollop, I'm chatting with dietitian Melissa Yip from the Healthy Eating Clinic about all things type 2 diabetes and how you can better manage your blood sugar levels. Welcome back to the Daily Dollop podcast, everybody. It's going to be a great show today. I'm being joined by a colleague of mine, Melissa Yip from the Healthy Eating Clinic, My name's Kate Freeman. I'm a registered nutritionist and the founder of the Healthy Eating Hub and the Healthy Eating Clinic. And fun fact, which I've shared before on the show, is that I do have the greatest team. I seriously do. When I went into business all those years ago, I knew that I wanted to have a team and that that I didn't want to be on my own. Actually, my first business was called Kate Freeman Nutrition, and it just felt weird just saying my name in the third person all the time. So it's nice to not have to do that. And I do have the best team around. So one of them, Melissa, is on the show today. She is a senior dietitian at the Healthy Eating Clinic with nine years experience. And she's been with me for nearly four years this year. Love her lots. She's incredible. And one of the areas of expertise of hers, because she's got a few, is type 2 diabetes. And I want to pick her brain about that today. Hey, Melissa, welcome to The Daily Dollop. Thanks for having me, Kate. You are so welcome. So before we get stuck into the, you know, nitty gritty bits of type 2 diabetes, do you want to tell everyone a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I was born in Malaysia and I moved to Australia in 2007 to study dietetics at the University of Newcastle. After graduating, I moved back to Malaysia um, for a couple of months um, to practice at home. Then I got a job in country Victoria in a small town called Portland. So um, shout out to any Portland peeps listening. Hello, Portland. (laughs) Um, And in 2017, I got a job in Canberra with the Healthy Eating Clinic, also known as a Healthy Eating Hub. Yeah. And since then, I've been loving it. Yeah, awesome. Me too. I'm glad you came. (laughs) We actually did a Zoom interview, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah, which was my first one I did of that. And I was, I remember being nervous, like, how can you pick someone and they're not in the same room? Because I'm such a gut feeler with how I hire people. But I could sense in my gut over Zoom that you were (laughs) going to be a winner. So there we go. Four years on. What a decision. Um, It's been good. Melissa's very tolerant of me. She, um, helps me run the clinic and yeah, I appreciate you managing me (laughs) as well as you do. (laughs) So let's talk about diabetes. So you work full time for me and you're seeing clients every day as part of your job. What proportion of those clients have type 2 diabetes? I'd say it's about 30%. Yeah. So it's pretty regularly that you're working with people and, and helping them manage this disease. Um, what causes type 2 diabetes? Can you give us like a little rundown for the listeners who don't really understand how this disease comes about? Mm, that's a good question. Type 2 diabetes is one of those conditions where you can't just pin it down to one reason. Like it's it's mm. multifactorial. Um, there are things that are um, related to your genes. So mm-hmm. For example, if it runs in your family, certain ethnicities will have a higher 
risk of getting type 2 diabetes, even country of birth. So for example, if you're born in, say, an Asian country or the Middle East or North Africa, South Europe, those things like lifestyle and cultures and eating patterns can sometimes then influence your risk as well. Interesting. Yeah. Mm. Lifestyle certainly plays a big role. Physical inactivity is a big one. Yeah. Yeah. And then things like increasing body weights and that sort of thing. Yeah. So it's almost like the perfect storm, really, like a number of things sort of come together that then, you know, the way I like to understand, you know, type 2 diabetes and the underlying insulin resistance is that it's like a dimmer switch, that it's not something that you just like catch like a, like a virus or a bacteria. You don't catch type two diabetes. Mm. It sort of evolves. Yeah. Would you sort of describe it like that? Yeah. Basically all those those risk factors would influence things, um, would influence your insulin resistance and insulin sensitivity basically. Yeah. 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 And then it sort of ends up tipping over into type 2 diabetes. What's the diagnostic criteria? So for I know people can be diagnosed with insulin resistance and 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 not have diabetes. Can you talk me through just that that sort of progression? Yeah. Basically it gets to a point where your body can't really cope with that insulin um, resistance anymore. So that balance has now tipped and you're getting high blood sugars, basically. So type 2 diabetes can be diagnosed through a couple of ways. For me, I always feel the gold standard is what we call a oral glucose tolerance test, Mm -hmm. where the patient has to take a challenge load of glucose, which is the simplest, um, purest form of carbohydrates. Um, It's basically what's found in your bloodstream. So they take a challenge load and then two hours after their blood glucose levels are checked. Mm -hmm. And if it's higher than a certain range, it basically means your body can't tolerate glucose very well. Mm. You've got type 2 diabetes. Yeah, right. But other ways it can be diagnosed could be fasting blood sugar levels. So Mm -hmm. often what the doctors would look for would be at least two elevated fasting blood glucose levels. And recently I think they've started using a glycated hemoglobin result, which is kind of like a three monthly average of what your blood sugars have been doing. Mm. Um, and then if it's past a certain number, um, it can also be used to diagnose type 2 diabetes. Right. Is that the HbA1c yes. number? Yes. Excellent. The okay. Mouthful. Yeah. <laughs> and so, okay, so there's quite a number of different ways that you might be diagnosed. Is it likely that, that your GP will use all three of those ways or they often just use one? I'm not quite sure. It kind of just depends. I've had mm. clients diagnosed through any of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and for those of you who haven't already, definitely catch – I've got a, a an episode on pre-diabetes, which was an Ask Me Anything episode where I talk in detail about insulin resistance. I use a lemon analogy of the neighbour bringing lemons over and then eventually ah. ignoring the neighbour. Um, the neighbour being insulin. Uh, <laughs> but then insulin brings like reinforcements and anyway. So listen, have a listen to that. And and so basically what Melissa's saying is then type 2 diabetes is the body now can't keep up with the insulin production or can't keep up with the glucose. Yeah. And, and that's when they start rising. Like it just can't keep producing more and more insulin. Is that sort of? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So your body can't keep up with insulin production. So your blood sugars run a bit high yeah. um, just because it requires, your body requires so much insulin to keep your blood sugars in check. On the other hand, it also could be the fact that you might be eating way too much carbohydrates, like you're putting in way too much for your body to cope with and mm. therefore 
you have high blood sugars as a result. Yeah, yeah. So when it comes to lifestyle, obviously, you know, one of the first things people think about when they've been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes is their diet, right? Yes. Can, can they cure their type 2 diabetes by changing their diet? Yes. Um, mm. Only in very, very limited scenarios. From what I know, yeah. um, if you're young, so if you're really young, you know, in early 20s, mm-hmm. you know, you're morbidly obese. So you carry a lot of body fat and as a, you know, you're extremely sedentary. And as a result, you've got, you know, severe insulin resistance and your type 2 diabetes is caused by that. Yes. Then um, reversal can be possible if you change your diet significantly you know, increase your physical activity, lose all that excess body fat, basically all the things that have caused that insulin resistance, Mm. then reversal is possible. Yeah. Um, I've had, I've heard of cases where extreme low calorie diets or bariatric surgery for these um, particular clients have resulted in complete reversal of type 2 diabetes. Mm. So yes, it's possible. But that being said, if you're, you know, in your 60s or 70s, if you're not terribly overweight, but you've got type 2 diabetes, then it's less likely that you can actually get complete uh, reversal, like a mm. cure mm. of type 2 diabetes. And by a cure, I mean, if you were to take an oral glucose tolerance test, you'd get a normal result. Well, yeah. 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 Mm. That's so interesting. Is there a point where type 2 diabetes becomes irreversible and it's just... You know, like I've I've often liked to think of it, you know, and we talk a lot about it being a progressive disease and I know you've talked a lot about that as well. Yeah. Um, What's the tipping point for whether it's reversible or not? Is it age or are there other factors involved? So many different factors because Mm. the thing that varies is the insulin sensitivity. So you might find that uh, you could have better tolerance. So if you're doing, you know, all the right things, you'd be eating healthily, if you're exercising regularly, your tolerance can improve. So it might be as close to reversal, but not quite. So, you know, if you were to overdo it, you wouldn't have the same kind of tolerance as someone without type 2 diabetes. Yeah, yeah, I see. That makes sense. So with with the clients that you've seen over the years, what are you what are the some of the common mistakes that you see people make when they're trying to to change their diet? Cut out all the carbs. Yeah. Go on a carb-free diet. <laughs> That's usually what they will say when they come in. Yeah. yeah. Why is that a mistake? I mean, because obviously insulin resistance and type 2 diabetes in its simplest description is that we're not being able to handle carbs. Yeah. So, I mean, I kind of think like if I wasn't a nutritionist and didn't know what I knew, it makes a kind of sense to think if carbs are the problem or if it's carbs that I'm not handling, mm. that cutting them out is the answer. Yeah. Why is that a mistake though? Uh, well, I guess the mistake is because carbs exist in quite a lot of um, healthy foods, Yeah. Um, foods that we're – required to eat to stay healthy so for example in your um, fruits and your vegetables there are carbohydrates as well Mm. so if you sort of you know lump everything everything together in the same bucket then you you could possibly be cutting out healthy foods and I think you know realistically speaking I don't know of many people who could survive long term on a no carb diet because (laughs) a no carb diet is literally a diet of maybe pure meat 
and no oil and oil <laughs> and and that's it so yeah. from a yeah. you know from a holistic perspective you know type 2 diabetes is not the only thing that you need to be worried about you need mm. to be looking at gut health and all the other risk factors associated with type 2 diabetes, such as heart disease risk, stroke risk. Mm. And those foods go a long way in helping to manage and prevent those conditions as well, you know, yes. the fruits and vegetables. So, yeah, I think there's a bit of a, an unrealistic expectation in cutting out all the carbs. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And I think, you know, it's also, it's also oversimplifying diabetes as well in that, you know, because we've got this underlying insulin resistance that if we improve the insulin sensitivity of our body or in lay terms, if we help our body listen to insulin better, it means that we can continue to eat carbohydrates at a moderate level and yes. be okay. Is yes. that correct? Yes. I've always talked about carbohydrates and, and, and diabetes as a dose problem. Yes. So if you think about dosing, um, even the healthiest food in the world, like, you know, plain drinking water you know it's, it's it's an essential for life right yeah but if you do the wrong dose so if you've overdosed on water you can get poisoning it yeah is a you'll poison. die 100%. yeah so that's the difference between um you know a, a, a healthy amount for you and an unhealthy amount for you and because diabetes is such an individual condition like mm. one person's tolerance to carbohydrates would be very different to another person's tolerance so it's about finding what the right dose is for you based on your tolerance the moment mm. and then tweaking that as you either improve or worsen over time. Yeah, that makes so much sense. I like I like thinking about it as a dose because it's thinking it's then not doing this black and white like it's either I'm eating all the carbohydrates or I'm not eating them at all. It's exactly. about finding the what's right for you carb yeah. amount. Yeah. Yeah. And I say that a lot in my marketing I mean if if I get asked over social media like Oh, Kate, you know, do you take a low carb approach? Do you believe in that? And I often reply, I don't do high carb or low carb. I do what's right for you carb. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, because, you know, I've, I've met clients who've done well on a higher carbohydrate eating pattern for their goals, right? And it's all tailored to them. And I've done other clients on a lower carbohydrate eating pattern. Um, and certainly I know for the rest of the team and you, that an underlying insulin resistance would be a factor that would influence what we'd recommend doing with the carbs. Yes, certainly. Yeah, yeah. So, um, all right. Is there any other mistakes sort of separate from carbs that you see people make or that's probably the main one? Um, well, first thing they'd probably do would be jump on the Google machine and they'd be <laughs> Googling, uh, you know, what is a diet to do to reverse my diabetes or cure my diabetes? And I often find the results are based on pretty much what's in trend at the moment. Mm. So if you think about a couple of years ago, it was maybe paleo. Yes. And then um, I think there was a bit of fasting. And then yep. currently <laughs> all the rage is keto. Yes. So I've had a lot of clients come through my door who've embarked on a, a keto diet or were told by, say, their um, health professional to um, go keto, um, basically cut out all the carbs, therefore go keto. Mm. It's, it's, it's a weird correlation like if yes. you cut out all the carbs you must be going keto um <laughs> so yeah with the keto diet um 
I'm all for the slight carbohydrate reduction. I don't believe or subscribe to cutting out all carbs simply because I know it does not happen. Yes, it's impossible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, you know, the client who comes in and says, I do keto for breakfast. I'm like, you're not doing keto if you're <laughs> eating, you know, carbohydrates for lunch or dinner. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so with the keto pattern, one thing that really um, worries me is the, the high fat aspect of mm. it, particularly if there are no um, guidelines around the type of fat that you're eating. So for example, if you going keto and you're having lots of saturated fat in your diets from either animal sources or coconut oils or palm oils, then that is actually going to exacerbate your risk factors when it comes mm. to type 2 diabetes. So I think I've mentioned before the heart disease risk, the stroke risk. Yes. Um, that's actually going to make it worse. Yeah. Um, and high fat intakes, um, high fat eating patterns have actually been associated with worsening insulin resistance yes yeah so um even though your blood sugars may look great at point of time yes the underlying mechanisms inside your body you're kind of gearing up yourself for um worsen and worsen tolerance if and when you start eating carbohydrates again yes so yeah it's pretty worrying yeah absolutely i actually explained this to a client of mine just recently who you know um has been diagnosed with pre-diabetes and has a family history of diabetes. And so she was adamant that she needed to go keto. Mm. And I said to her, I said, look, if you go keto 100% and you stick to it, you'll improve. Your insulin levels will drop. Your blood sugar levels will drop. I was like, hell, even your HbA1c will improve. I said, because you're not giving your body carbohydrates, so it doesn't have to produce insulin anymore. Like, it's just what will happen. Of course, that's going to happen. I said, but the ketogenic diet is not um, actually addressing the underlying insulin resistance. So you eat carbs again, yes. blood sugar levels spiral out of control. And so I think, and also I said to her, would you like to eat carbs for the rest of your life? She's like, oh yeah, I would. I was like, there we go. So now we need to learn how to improve your insulin sensitivity and manage your blood sugar levels while you eat carbs. Exactly. Yeah. You're giving them the skills to take a more long-term sustainable approach. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. So this is really good. I, my next question was asking like, is it only carbs that we have to worry about? So it seems that ma looking at dietary fats is really important as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it really comes down to the fact that, you know, we've always here – as a team, we take a whole foods approach and a food first approach, but it's more about the dietary pattern really. Yeah. It's the eating pattern that matters, the overall eating pattern and not just the individual um, nutrient. Yes. I think there's a bit of a danger on zooming in on a particular macronutrient such as carbohydrates or fats and then uh, losing sight of the, um, of the forest for the tree. Like, yeah. You know, you sort of miss that the food is actually perhaps not something you should be eating all the time. So for example, I had a client who was really excited and she came back. She's like, oh my gosh, I found the best things ever. Like in context of her diabetes, she's like, I found this no sugar brownie mix and I've been having these no sugar brownies like every day. Um, they're so good. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, cool. Okay. Um, a brownie, something we should be having every single day. And she's like, well, but then but they're no sugar. They've got no the carbohydrates in them and I'm like yes but if we look at the food as a whole 
you know, brownies are a pretty processed item. They don't have a lot of nutrition in them. And if we actually look beyond the fact that they were carbohydrate-free or sugar-free, they were quite high in energy. Mm. So, you mm. know, if she continued to eat these brownies regularly, you know, on a daily basis for months, what would probably happen would be she would be gaining a bit more um, body fat yes. and more weight. And that body fat is going to increase the insulin resistance. Yes. So, yeah. yeah. That's it's, an example. <laughs> it's such a good point. It's such a good point. And it's it's sort of, yeah, it's, I think there's, there's definitely merit, particularly in our profession, to dive down into the individual things. But one of the things that's always really important that we always like to do is then bring the client back out again and go, now let's have a look at this as a whole picture. Yes. What would be, just to sort of finish up the episode, what would be some key sort of like whole of diet patterns that you would encourage a client to do when it sort of comes to making sustainable changes to their diet? Yeah. In terms of carbohydrates, I think if we can look at carbohydrate foods Mm. um, and pick foods that are more higher in fiber, that's often a good start. So if you're going to be picking carbohydrate foods, try to pick something that's, you know, a whole grain, your starchy vegetables. Yeah. Um, so really trying to increase your fruit and vegetable intake. I cannot stress that enough. Like yep. fruit and vegetables, we're just not eating enough of it as a country. Yeah. So I think a good step is to start there. Try to build your diet up with more of these um, fruit and vegetables. If you're having something like a, like a brownie, a no sugar brownie, um, <laughs> can you have that with some fruit? Yeah. You know? So you're adding some really quality um unprocessed, nutritious, whole foods back into your diet again so that we're building up um, a better intake of... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And just sort of maximising that overall diet quality. I actually had one more question that I want to ask you and I'm just going to let this be a long episode because I really want to ask you about this one (laughs) and then we'll finish up. So my doctor put me on metformin, not me personally. (laughs) Um, I'll tell you guys if that happened for real though. Um, But... They say the question from the client is, my doctor put me on metformin. Do I have to take it? Yes. (laughs) Plain and simple, yes. Please take your metformin if you have been prescribed metformin. Mm. Funny story. Back when I was a student in my final year of clinical practice, I was um, at the Garvin Institute in Sydney, which is this really famous um, research institute. Yeah. Um, And the professor there, the endocrinologist, he said if he had his way – he would have metformin in our water supply. <laughs> wow. Yes. Yeah. And that just stuck with me since that day because, you know, even way back then, and this is quite a while ago, mm. um, you know, insulin resistance is a thing. You know, it, it's, you know, kids are getting bigger. We are getting bigger as a country. Insulin resistance is becoming a problem. Mm. Um, yeah. That drug is a wonder drug. It's not the nicest medication to take sometimes there could be tolerance issues Mm. Um, so if you do get tolerance issues that's stopping you from taking your um, metformin have a chat to your GP have a chat to your chemist there might be other formulations or other um, like a slow release formula that you might be able to tolerate better Mm. but certainly Mm. do try Mm. um, to be consistent and for those people who sort of aren't liking the thought of that taking the medication if they're diligent with their lifestyle changes can they, you know, would their GP down the track recommend coming off metformin? Is there light at the end of the tunnel or is it sort of, you know, a long-term part of the treatment plan? I usually think of, um, well, basically the role of metformin is to improve 
glucose uptake and to improve insulin um, sensitivity. Yeah. So if a client can be really diligent with physical activity, mm. so not using exercise or um, physical activity as a weight loss tool, but more of an insulin sensitivity management tool, if you get really diligent with that then um, and your blood sugars are um, showing a change, then it could be quite possible that you could come off the metformin. Mm. I mean, it, it is up to your GPs, to GPs discretion, but um, yeah, it's not, I, I, I don't like prioritizing one over another. Yes. I do like to treat lifestyle changes, medication and food as uh, a trifecta. Like yes. If they work together, um, the results that you get are a lot stronger than just picking one and only working on one. Yeah, amazing. Melissa, thank you so much. Guys, as you know, Melissa, she knows her stuff. And so if you are feeling like you would like some individualized advice for getting the carbs right for you, mm. for your diabetes, you can book a consultation with Melissa um, in-house if you're in Canberra, but via telehealth is if you're Australia-wide. So um, lots of availability to see her. But thank you so much for coming on the show today. No worries. It was a pleasure. It's been great chatting to you. Team, have a fab day and we will see you in the next episode. After years of being bombarded with diet culture, I so understand that the world of healthy eating is super, super hard. My Healthy Eating Program helps people who are struggling with their eating habits to lose weight, feel good about themselves and eat well for the rest of their life. I do this by teaching one nutrition principle at a time and showing you how to establish this knowledge as a habit in your everyday life. This is unlike any other program on the market today that simply gives you a meal plan, a list of good and bad foods or expects you to change everything all at once. Life's too short to live with food stress. To become a habit builder and not a crash dieter, join my program today at healthyeatinghub.com.au. Thank you so much for checking out The Daily Dollop. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe so that we can spread the podcast far and wide and so you don't miss an episode. <laughs>